Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Friends, good evening. So here we are at the end of the liturgical year. I don't think I'm the only one. It's hard to believe that we're already here at Christ the King. Anybody else just feeling like, how did we, how is it already here, right? First Sunday of Advent's next week. That's hard to believe. That's hard to believe. So at the end of every year, at the end of every year, we celebrate the great solemnity of Christ the King. Christ who comes at the end of the liturgical year like the great liturgical procession. He comes at the end of all of this. And what I want us to soak in tonight. What I hope to try and highlight tonight in this homily is just the strangeness, the strangeness of our king and the strangeness of the kingdom that he came to establish. It's a kingdom where he inverts everything. He inverts all our expectations. And this is where I want to start. I want to start with the crucifix, right? The crucified Lord, that every time you come into Mass, we are always confronted by the crucified, the crucified one. This is the first proclamation of Christ's kingship by the first evangelist, Pontius Pilate, which might sound odd. He was the first to proclaim Christ's kingship to the world. That was the declaration. That was the, the, the sign that he put above the cross, right? Jesus Nazarenus Rex Judeorum, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. He had it inscribed in Latin, Greek, and Hebrew for all the world to see, and he was close to getting it right. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. He was certainly King of the Jews, but as we declare today, he's not just King of the Jews, he's King of the universe. Jesus Nazarenus Rex Universi. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the universe. That's who he is. And what a strange king, right? What a strange king. Instead of, instead of a crown of gold, he has a crown of thorns, right? Instead of this throne of glory that you would expect him to have, that you would expect any great monarch to have. Think of Caesar, think of Pilate, think of Annas, think of Caiaphas, think of these mighty men sitting upon their thrones. He's sitting upon a cross, nailed to a cross. Instead of a scepter in his hand, he's got nails in his hand. Instead of a fine regal purple garment signifying his kingship, he's got his own flesh hanging from his body, purpled from his own blood. He is a very strange king. And the strangeness goes even further of his kingship, what we see in this gospel that we have today from Matthew 25, which is, if you really let this gospel confront your heart, there's something exhilarating and terrifying about this gospel. We'll get to that in a moment here. But, I mean, listen, listen to the beginning of this gospel. This is, it begins the way we might expect a gospel about the kingship of Christ to begin. Because it starts with this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory. Like, okay, this sounds right, right? King of the universe, coming in his glory. With all of the angels with him, he will sit upon his glorious throne. Okay, that makes sense. And all of the nations will be assembled before him. I mean, just pause for a moment there to just consider, like, the magnificence of the vision that's being held out to us. The magnificence of this. Like, what will that look like when the Son of Man comes in his glory? Like, these are words that we use. These are words that God has inspired the author of Scripture to use. He comes in his glory. But what we hear of God's glory in the Scripture is that no eye has seen, no ear heard, nothing can, no human mind can fathom 
what this glory is. It's beyond our capacity to comprehend. And that's what he's coming in, robed and shining in this glory. And it's not just some angels with him. This is a line that just really stood out to me. It's not just some angels. It's all of the angels. All of them. Think about just what happens when one angel shows up in the scriptures, right? Think about that. When one, when one angel shows up in the scriptures, people are terrified. You know they're terrified because the angels are always saying, the first thing out of their mouth is, do not be afraid. Essentially, calm down, right? Take a breath, right? Calm down. There's a terrifying, overwhelming glory to each angel. Thomas Aquinas, who is the great... Um, patristic, or not patristic, great scholastic theologian of our tradition, Thomas Aquinas, who's called the angelic doctor, he wrote extensively on the angels. And he, he tries to explain what one angel is like. And he says this, it's, it's as if this, like every angel, he says, is its own species. Like, what does that mean? Well, think of it this way. You and I, individually, we are members of the species Homo sapiens, right? We're individually members of the species of humanity, right? I don't fully exhaust what it means to be human any more than you do, right? So what is one angel? Well, think of it this way. If you were to take every person who has ever lived, every person who's alive now, every person who will ever live, and condense them into one extraordinary being, that's what, like, one angel is like. You're stunned into silence. I can feel it. Okay. And now the Lord is saying that all of the angels are coming with him in glory. Like, what would that look like? It would be overwhelming, right? And he will sit upon his glorious throne. There's that word again, glory. He sits upon his glorious throne. And it's like, well, of course, where else would he sit? And all of the nations are assembled before him. Again, that makes sense. He's the king of the universe. All the nations, all peoples assemble before him. This seems fitting. This seems how I would imagine the king of the universe, to show up. But then it goes on to say this. Our mighty king begins to separate and sort the peoples and the nations. Picture, picture Michelangelo's uh, fresco of the last judgment scene in the Sistine Chapel, right? You think of the creation scene on the ceiling and the last judgment scene is behind the high altar, right? Where Jesus is in the center next to his mother and he's pointing up like this to the right-hand side and he's looking down to the damned on the left-hand side. The mighty are going up, the glorious, the righteous are going up to, 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 to heaven and the damned are, they're going to the other place, right? Okay, this right here, this sorting, this is where you and I, this is where we need to press in. This is where we need to listen attentively because Jesus, as a teacher, he's like a good teacher in this respect where like, like I think about the teachers I had in high school leading up to final exams where they're like, okay, this is what you need to study for the final exam. This is what it's going to be on, right? This is what Jesus is saying. You want to know what judgment's going to be like? What's the criterion? This. This. So to those on his right, he'll say, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world. This is the end he had in mind from the beginning. This was, glory was not an afterthought for him. This was the end he had in mind when he dreamt humanity into being. His intention for us is our salvation. I want to save you, is what he's saying. I want you to be in this kingdom. 
This is what I've intended from the foundation of the world, your full and final beatitude to enter into this with me. That's what he intended from the beginning. And to those on his left, he'll say, depart from me. You accursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Notice again, notice here that hell, like eternal separation from God, that's what hell is. Hell was not prepared from the foundation of the world for us. That's not what he had in mind for us. Hell, eternal separation from God, was what was the, is the natural result of the devil and the fallen angels. It was their deliberate decision to go to war against God, to be in perpetual rebellion. That was what was given to them. That's what was given to them. So we can ask the question, we should ask the question, we must ask the question, why are some saved? Why are some of them sheep? Why are some of them goats? Goats. I should say goats. I said goats. Sheep and goats. It's not because the goats didn't pray hard enough. It's not because they weren't faithful enough. It's not because they didn't try hard enough. That's not the criterion. This is, right here, this is where the strangeness of our king and the strangeness of the kingdom is so truly revealed. This is where we begin to see this inversion that Christ has come to do, flipping the world on its head. The king explains this. He says that when the hungry, when the hungry were given food or when the thirsty were given drink, when the stranger was welcomed, when the naked were clothed, when the ill were tended to, when the imprisoned were visited, he says, he says that he himself was the recipient of all of this charity. Or conversely, when, he, when they were ignored, he was ignored. That's that is the dividing line. That is the decisive factor. That's it. If you're banking on something else to save you, you ought to pay attention to what the Lord is telling us. Because the thing about both groups, the, the righteous and the condemned, both groups are stunned by this. Both are stunned. Like the, the sheep on the right, the righteous to his right, they're not going, yeah, we, we knew all along. We, we figured. No, both groups are stunned. Both are shocked. That they can, neither group can recall, like when they served, let alone when they saw this unbelievably majestic celestial king. Like, like they're thinking, like, like, I would totally have remembered serving you, O great and glorious king. I would have remembered. Like, look at you, surrounded by your angels, coming in glory. I think I would have remembered this. This would have stuck out in my experience. And this right here is when the king makes the most shocking announcement that the one who is presently before them in all of this majesty and all of this glory previously existed in our midst as this anonymous pauper, as a nobody. That's where he was. Like he announces, it's, it's like, remember that TV show Undercover Boss? Like, the Last Judgment is like an episode of Undercover Boss. What we discover, what the Lord is telling us, is that he has been disguised in those whom the world considers the least. Like, he hides himself in that which is overlookable. He hides himself in that which the world considers the least. 
the least important people, the least impressive people, the least intelligent people, the least influential, the, the least beautiful, the least capable, the least powerful, the least sufficient. That's where he's hiding all along. Like the omnipotence of this king, the omnipotence of King Jesus and the power of his rule, it's, it's manifested in his association with and, and his personal identification with the least of these, with the little ones, with the needy, those who count for nothing. Like, and friends, this right here, this is where like when I pray through Matthew 25, like this is one of those texts that just, it's both exhilarating exciting, incredible, and also terrifying. Because, like, this is where it's so practical. Like, he's telling us, the king is telling us, I am in your midst already. Like, the king, like, he's saying, I myself, not my vicar, not my ambassador, not my emissary, not my representative, not my viceroy, no. He's saying, I myself, I am, I am present in the person nearest to you who is so hard to love that's what he's saying I'm the one I'm in the one who is begging love from you and time from you and attention from you like, this is what's shocking right the king like the only king that there is who's the only kingdom that will ever last forever his dominion will be forever right Gabriel says to Mary in the Annunciation the king of the universe is a beggar He's a beggar of love because as it turns out, the only thing that he really cares about is conquering our hearts. Not any territory, not any other kingdom. Like what he's interested in conquering is our hearts. Like the only objective that he has as a king is to woo and win our hearts. He's trying to get us to lower our defenses. He's trying to get us to break out of ourselves. Because when the curtain of our life falls, and when the time for decision-making is over, and the decision has been made, and we will be forever what we chose to be in this life, when the curtain of our life falls, he wants to say to us, he wants to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's joy. Come into the feast. The fattened calf has been slaughtered. Enter into your master's joy. Come into the wedding banquet. He wants to save. He wants us to be able to enter into this kingdom of love, but because it is a kingdom of love, it's also a kingdom of freedom. And he won't touch our freedom. He refuses to touch our freedom. So he's, he's doing everything he can to get us to break out of our own egotism to get us to to break out of the black hole of our own selfishness and to love like he loves and so he becomes a beggar and the only criterion for entering the entering this kingdom is the condition of love like that's what's incredible about this you don't have to become a missionary to start learning to enter into this, to live this gospel. You don't have to become a missionary and go to another part of the world 
If you feel so called to do that, awesome. That's, that's an amazing opportunity. I've done it. It'll change your life. But you don't, have to, you don't have to go to Nicaragua to start feeding the poor and culling the naked. You don't have to do that. It's right here, right? The circumstances for your salvation, for your sanctification, are right in the midst of your world. You already have all the ingredients you need in your world to become the saint that God wants you to be. It's already waiting for you. Like some of the early morning masses, I mean, it was like we had, we had the adult choir over there and then we had like the infant choir out here in the church. They were squawking like glory. It was amazing, right? I mean, that's what I was thinking about. Think about like you as parents or your time as that season of your life as a parent, like, and you're caring for your children. Do you realize, did you realize how close to Jesus you are? Like how many times as a parent did you clothe the naked? Every day. Every day. How many times did you feed the hungry and give drink to the thirsty, right? especially right before bedtime, right? That's when everyone becomes very parched. I just need a drink of water. You just need to go to bed, right? Giving drink to the thirsty or visiting the imprisoned who were sitting on the steps for time out for a few minutes, right? I, it's funny, but it's also true, right? Living these corporal works of mercy, it's right there in the midst of your vocation. It's right there in the midst of your home. I know there's a, there's a lot of us in this parish right now who are in that season of life, that very challenging season where, you're, where you as the child are now taking care of your elderly aging parents, right? Your mom, your dad who are entering that season where it's, it's very difficult. Do you realize how close to Jesus you are? He's right there. Like he is hiding in your mother, in your father, in that loved one. And I know some of you are thinking right now, like, well, he's really good at hiding, Father. Right? Like, and like, again, it's funny, but it's, all, it's true, though. Like, if these words of Jesus in this gospel, if, if he's telling the truth, then that is true. That is true. He's there, imprisoned, perhaps, in their lack of mobility, their lack of ability to take care of themselves, or maybe he's even in prison in their mind now. I mean, that, that, that brutal burden that many of you are carrying, watching your mom and dad, their minds slip away through dementia or Alzheimer's. I know there's a lot of us who are carrying that right now. Imprisoned there, and he's, he's there begging for love. I don't know which bishop or which cardinal said this? But he said that the, the rich, the poor need the rich in their charity to help their lives become a little bit easier, but the rich need the poor to save them from hell. We need, we need people around us who are not self-sufficient. We need people with great needs to be around us to hammer on our hearts, to break us out of our egos, to break us out of the black hole of our egotism. Because this king of ours, who is omnipotent and sovereign, he breaks into your world as an interruption. He's, he's present to us as an interruption. He's present to us as a waste of time. 
He's present to you as, as a detour to the plans that you have. He's saying, I know you really want to do this this afternoon, but could, how about this? Could you spend some time with me? He breaks into our world, begging for us to break out of ourselves. I mean, think about it this way. I mean, we all, every modern person, struggles and confesses impatience. I know that because I hear your confessions. Every person struggles with impatience, losing my patience. Wherever you find yourself losing your patience, whoever it is who strains your patience, who tests your patience, you can be assured that that's Jesus hiding somewhere in there. That's how strange this king is. Reminding you that you're not God. Reminding you that more important than your plans are, is love. Friends, like in this gospel that we have today, in this solemnity today, our Lord, as a good teacher, he's telling all of this now so that none of us are surprised when we stand before him in judgment, right? Like the ones who were damned in this gospel, they weren't tricked by Jesus. He, 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 it's not a trick. He's not saying, ah, gotcha. They weren't tricked by him. Like the ones who didn't feed, who didn't give drink, who didn't clothe the naked or visit the imprisoned or assist the sick, like they didn't get tricked by him. They, they chose, we choose to keep the doors of our hearts locked shut, refusing to let love in and refusing to let love out, and thereby we create our own hell, locked within ourselves, incapable of love. Like our hearts become sclerotic, this spiritual rigor mortis settles in, like you have to learn love if you want to go to heaven. You have to. Because it's a kingdom of love. If love is an aquatic environment, we have to grow gills, and the gills we need, it's love. Friends, the amazing, like the shocking, the strange, the, the terrifying, the exhilarating part of this gospel, the exhilarating part of this solemnity is that, right, like, he, the one who will judge the nations, the one who will come with all of the angels, with him in glory, who sits on this glorious throne, this king of ours, is right now, at present, in our midst. He's in your midst. He's that close. Next to the blessed sacrament, the next most holiest thing presented to your senses is the person around you. And far be it from us to reverence him here and to ignore him there. Amen.